is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. G'day and welcome to Boarding Pass 156, operating on November 21st, 2022. This is Doug, an airline pilot. I'm here with my buddy Drew, an airline ops manager and private pilot trainee. We're here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective. Happy Thanksgiving to all of our American listeners. We're recording this episode on Saturday the 19th, which means that we're already into the Thanksgiving holiday travel period, which is defined by the American Automobile Association, or AAA, as we call it for our non-American listeners, to run from Friday the 18th through Monday the 29th. Because of this, Drew, we're going to do things a little bit differently this episode. We're going to jump right into our opening topic, and we'll talk about our weeks a little bit later. Yeah, it's coming up so fast. The holidays, I, I feel like it was just Halloween, and I see Christmas ornaments starting to go up. So Doug, AAA, as you said, expects 55 million Americans to travel during the long holiday weekend, the third highest total since they started tracking Thanksgiving travel numbers in 2000. That expected total is only 2% shy of 2019, which is the second highest total since 2000. Surprisingly, 2005 still holds the record. Can you believe that? Yeah, I, I, was, I was trying to think about 2005 and what I was doing yeah. in 2005. And I, I can't remember. No, I, I think we maybe had a family reunion, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I know there was a recession in 2008 and 2009. So 2005, we must have been riding high on the hog still, apparently. <laughs> people were traveling more than ever. Yeah. More than 4.5 million people are anticipated to take to the skies this week, which is 99% of the 2019 volume. American CEO Robert Isom told Skift Aviation Forum last week that his airline is ready to handle the expected surge in passengers. And that's a good thing, Drew and listeners, because BetUS.com places American at the best odds of the big four, which is American, Delta, United, and Southwest, of having the fewest cancellations with seven and a half to one odds. Drew, this isn't a joke. BetUS opened a betting line asking which airlines will cancel the most flights over Thanksgiving. You can bet up to $50 on which airline you think will cancel the most. Alaska is the odds-on favorite to cancel the most flights at 2 to 1, meaning that if you bet $50, you'll get a $100 payout. (laughs) Frontier is the next at 2.75 to 1, followed by United at 3.5 to 1, Delta at 4.5 to 1, Southwest also at 4.5 to 1, American, which we mentioned, and JetBlue has the best odds of having a great weekend at 9.1 to 1. Okay, we cannot play this game because it can get nasty. Because you know, whenever <laughs> someone has a meltdown, you're like, yes, a snowstorm in uh, Denver. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, this is saying that if you bet on JetBlue, if you bet $50, which is the max bet that they're taking on JetBlue, yeah. and they end up canceling the most, a week, you yeah. get four hundred a $450 payout. Yeah, we're going to get back to discussing these odds. I don't know how they came up with these, but but Doug, wait, there's more. You can also bet on which airports will have the most cancellations. SFO is a favorite at 1.5 to 1, followed by LAX at 1.75 to 1. All right, what are your concerns with this poll? I, I have a <laughs> Well, I, I actually did a little bit of research into this, and what I found was that the that they used historical data since 2015, weather patterns for delays and cancellations around the holidays, and what airlines have been doing. My concern, 2015, 
is light years away from 2022. It, it, think of it like almost like a different century. The pandemic completely changed all historical models when it comes to what airports see the most traffic. Granted, the weather is going to be the same, but the operations of all these airlines have completely changed since 2015. So pulling in data from back then, mm-hmm. which to me, that that's why I'm wondering if they set the max bet at 50 bucks. Because when oh, you bet on sports, on you can bet team. up to... Th- you can bet thousands of dollars that they they're doing this as just kind of a cheeky way to poke fun at the industry. And and they really are not looking to make a huge splash with this. And I don't even know how right. we happen to find it and latch onto it, but I think it's, I think it's clever. So not that I'm betting against anyone, but JetBlue has a large part of their operations in the Northeast, in Boston and New York, a few heavy snowstorms, and they're going to be losing this battle. So the fact that JetBlue has the best odds of having an on time, I we'll, we should save this and then we should come back and see what the results were. <laughs> yeah, but again, I don't want to pick winners and losers because we're in the industry, and I don't want. I can I, I, I Tyler I, Tyler will have a field. Tyler from Non Rev Lounge would have a field day because we say we love everyone, right? So we're, yeah. we're not going to take, <laughs> but we can we can we can come back and look at the results after. Yeah, I. I, I think that the airlines that have big operations in the northeast or in denver frontier would be the most affected mm-hmm. yeah uh, and look at buffalo buffalo is getting six feet of snow this weekend they Already. had they had to move yep. the nfl game from buffalo to the dome in detroit for tomorrow because they're supposed to get six feet of snow and that snowstorm is just going to keep pressing to the east through as you said boston probably the new york city area I, i'm sitting in denver right now we're going to talk about that they got a foot, almost a foot of snow the night before I came yeah. in for this training thing, and there's snow everywhere right. here, and, and that could easily yeah. happen at at any given point throughout the weekend. Yeah. Well, my other concern is so they picked SFO as the favorite to lose, right? The most cancellations. Am I reading this right? Yeah, correct. SFO during the winter, yes. which has excellent weather, and just side note, the Wall Street Journal. You were probably stuffing the ballot, Doug, but the Wall Street <laughs> Journal chose your base airport, SFO, and your home city airport, Sacramento, as the best airports in the country for big airports and medium-sized airports. So what, I mean, would you would you agree with that? Would you agree with the, that rating for both of your yeah, local yeah. airports? Yeah, San, San Francisco has done an amazing job. And this isn't just me bragging about my hometown airport, if you can call it that. If anyone who went to San Francisco 10 years ago or or later or went to San Francisco in the last year, it is not the same airport. It is a completely different airport. The terminals have been updated. Most of the terminals have been updated. The yeah. traffic flows into and out of the airport have been updated. I have had, as a pilot operating out of there, I have had very few delays leaving San Francisco. Yes, when, when the weather gets low, they go down to single runway ops or or they can only use two of the four runways that does cause delays, but that doesn't usually come until later in the year, like January, February, when there's low fog, the weather has been gorgeous out by us the last couple of weeks. And it looking at the seven day forecast, it's going to be sunny the mm-hmm. entire week of Thanksgiving, right? So the fact that they would say SFO is the favorite to have the most cancellations during yeah, time when in California and LAX is number two with mm. beautiful weather in the winter, we're going on a huge tangent, but <laughs> We got concerns about this poll <laughs> and bet USA. <laughs> who are these people? They're obviously not airline, aviation, or av geeks. 
No, I think they're, no, just they're, they're a sports book. Board. All right. So as we've talked about in the past few years, Thanksgiving week kicks off a busy travel holiday season, spans into the first week of the new year. And Doug, according to Perry Como, there's no place like home for the holidays, right? I've been hearing that famous Christmas song already, and there was a line in it that really, really struck me. Why don't we get people in the Christmas spirit? And we, we're going to lose some listeners. But as you said, we can't just play the song because of copyright issues. So let's help our listeners understand what we're talking about, especially those that don't live in the U.S. <coughs> Take it away. <laughs> oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. No matter how far away you roam, if you want to be happy in a million ways, for the holidays you can be home sweet home. I met a man who lives in Tennessee and he was heading for Pennsylvania and some homemade pumpkin pie. From Pennsylvania folks are traveling down to Dixie's sunny shore. From Atlantic to Pacific, gee, the traffic is terrific. <laughs> that, bad, that was right? great. I, that was... People, are, people are unsubscribing as we speak, I can feel. <laughs> All right, so, of course, I was humming this song. I was walking the dogs a couple of days ago, and I texted you. And I'm thinking, okay, where are these people connecting? <laughs> uh, the traffic is terrific. So what was the load factor? Are we talking like... <laughs> 1978 terrific which would have been 78 percent load factor are we talking now which is 100 percent load factor a lot of questions right does she have any tsa numbers (laughs) how does she know the traffic is terrific (laughs) barry released this song in 1954 which was pre-deregulation that means people were probably on a dc6 and made 12 stops on their way down to dixie Let's instead jump forward a few decades to 1978 when the Carpenters released a cover of the song. All right, Doug, before we debate this, we need to define Dixie, which he talks about for U.S. listeners and for some of our non-U.S. listeners. Dixie is a nickname for the southeastern U.S. and includes the following states, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, and both Carolinas. It sounded like I was going into, uh, I've traveled everywhere. I I was thinking that, yeah. Okay, Doug, where were the where were these folks connecting? Uh, that, that is a great question. And we could spend the entire episode on this. Drew and I, and with some of our friends, we were talking about it a little, little bit before we came on. And we said, you know what, let's stop. Let's save this for the recording because there's so many options. The, these mm-hmm. traveling, yeah, it's amazing. The, these folks are traveling from Pennsylvania to Dixie's sunny shore. Dixie's sunny mm-hmm. shore makes me think that it's probably along the Gulf of Mexico. That okay. or the, the Florida, the East Coast, possibly Charleston, Savannah, somewhere around there. Dixie, right. as we said, is the Southeast, Jackson, the sunny yeah. shore. They're going to the beach mm-hmm. for the holidays from yeah. Pennsylvania. From so Pennsylvania, where, where, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So where, where are they connecting? Lots of different airline choices. Let, let's, let's read this list. But wait, let's go back. Why are you saying they're starting in Pennsylvania? Because that, that was – so, guys, we have not well, – Doug and two, I have not discussed this. Yeah, there, there are so, two travelers. There, there was the man who lives in Tennessee, and he was heading for right. Pennsylvania. But okay. then from Pennsylvania, folks are traveling down to Dixie's sunny shore. So we have two different <laughs> okay, so we both traffic agree. patterns here that, that we need to discuss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's, let's, let's break this down. So Karen Carpenter is at an airport terminal in Pennsylvania. Can we start with that understanding? Yeah, we, we can start with that. 
You'd be Robbie thought they were in Memphis. Why did Robbie? We'll get back to what he thought. (laughs) No, no. Let's let's start. Let's start with that. Why did Robbie think they were in Memphis? Well, first of all, he thought it was ridiculous that we're even discussing this because he's saying (laughs) the song is about travel in general and Perry Como or Karen Carpenter are just meeting these people and travel is a buzz, right? Because people are traveling everywhere for the holidays, and he thinks it's ridiculous that we think that they're at an airport. But then I'm telling him. They're traveling from Nashville to Florida. They're traveling from Pennsylvania to Florida, right? Or to Dixie. And they're traveling from Atlantic to Pacific. Who drives from coast to coast? So yep. I'm like, they obviously have to, have to be at an airport. Oh, the yeah. But anyway. you just added, you added a third one. Because we were talking about Tennessee to Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania right. to Dixie. And now Atlantic to Pacific. Let's let's start out with a list of some of the the popular airlines around this day and age. We're, again, we're talking yep. about the Carpenters era, the late seventies, early eighties, because Perry Como, nineteen fifty four, you you would be whatever the government told you to fly, basically. Well, yeah, I mean, Andy, who listens to the show, he said, well, in 1954, they could have been making a double connection on a DC-6. Or did you tell? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, so. yeah I, I added the DC, DC-6. DC Okay, so here are the airlines. We've got Air Florida, and the, no particular order. Air Florida, Pan Am, TWA, American, Northwest, Republic, Continental, US Air, Delta, United, and Piedmont. Southwest at this time was mainly just inside of Texas, so we're going to leave them out. Okay. Agreed. You, you, um, you Air want to start? Florida, we'll probably, probably leave Air Florida out because they weren't traveling Transcon because some people were going Atlantic to Pacific. Yeah, yeah. We, we can remove them. Okay. You, you want to start with the Carpenters in Pennsylvania going down to Dixie. Yeah. Who, who were they flying on? You sent me some route maps. You actually looked up some route maps from the era. I spent way too much time tank diving this on my day off, and I'm sorry. What I found was... Uh, U.S. Airways, Doug. I, I I believe I'm just going to put it out there. Karen Carpenter was at Philadelphia International Airport at a U.S. Airways concourse. Would you agree that's where that's where she was? Pittsburgh is what I was picturing on U.S. Airways as well. Okay, that's the other one. I was thinking yeah. Pittsburgh, but then I was thinking it could be Pittsburgh. I'm so they would have to have flights from the south and flights from and to Florida and transcons Atlantic to Pacific. Mm-hmm. So they'd have to have an SFO or an LAX flight. And I guess yeah. it could be both of those airports. Yeah. I, would, I was also thinking there's Piedmont because Piedmont had a big operation in Charlotte. In Charlotte. That, that would easily be a connection from Charlotte, from Pittsburgh to Charlotte or Pennsylvania or uh, Philadelphia to Charlotte, connecting to Charlotte. Well, Savannah. let me stop you because Piedmont didn't start West Coast flights until I want to say the 90s. We can double check. Yes, but the, they these people don't have to be on the same airline traveling to Dixie, but also Atlantic to Pacific. That's so that that's yeah. a, we can we can come back to that Atlantic yeah, to Pacific. Another, of course, the option. the The joke is, even when you die, you still have to connect through Atlanta. Delta <laughs> Atlanta. was huge. Delta was huge on on the East Coast in this mm-hmm. time frame. Atlanta had connections to and from everywhere up and down the East Coast. She easily it's not Atlanta. Been... No, she's not in Atlanta because she's. Telling people people are going to Dixie's Southern Shore or something. Sunny if Dixie's she Sunny Shore. That she'd already be in in Dixie. No, right? I, I I understand that if she was on Piedmont 
she would already be in Dixie. I'm saying if she's sitting oh, in the airport right. in Pennsylvania, how is she getting to Dixie? She could be going on Delta through Atlanta because as as we right. said, even when you die, you have to connect through Atlanta. Connect through Atlanta. Yeah, Bob Hope I, said that. I think Northwest Republic, Continental, the, they're all out because they had more right. central hubs. TWA from JFK, possibly. 1978, mm-hmm. Pan Am, it's just immediately post deregulation they barely had any sort of a domestic network i don't think it was pan am mm-hmm. my my yeah. top three would be delta us air and piedmont and if i really had to choose i'm i'm going us air <laughs> yeah i'd have to go with us air too i mean we missed united united has a hub at washington dc but not in 1978 i think that started yeah. in, well i know that started in the in the 90s yeah all right so okay Atlantic to Pacific. Now no, let's let's move on. Where yeah. is she and what? Who is she flying? She's flying U.S. Airways. I, you, you know, you can tell me whatever you want. It, it is Pittsburgh or Philadelphia. It could be either one, but uh, she's definitely flying U.S. Airways. So we agree on that. Yeah, to the to the south. But I, I'm saying moving on to the next oh. one, the Atlantic to Pacific. Who is she flying? Oh yeah, she could be flying. No, no, U.S. Airways was flying to the West Coast in the 70s and 80s. But listen, so this is where AvGeeks, I mean, non-AvGeeks well, are completely Hold on, oblivious. hold on. I, I'm going I'm to yeah. uh, interrupt you. I, we, we talked about how she doesn't have to be flying the same airline from Atlantic to Pacific, and you keep coming back to U.S. Airways. So are you, are you trying to tell me that she was an elite flyer on U.S. Airways? Maybe she's doing some sort of a status yeah. chase and, and has a, a brand loyalty to U.S. Airways? To that, that's what you're saying? 100%. Like... Karen Carpenter, I mean, they were very successful. And from that, I'm going to interpolate or extrapolate that they were very smart. Why would you have a connecting flight on another airline when you can stay on the same airline, get your miles? And, you know, back then, this was like the 70s and 80s. We did have mileage programs. Not until 81. American introduced in 81. Really? If we're talking about 78, there is no, there might be brand loyalty, but there is no elite status Uh that comes with it. There's no miles that you get. So I would argue. There's no lounge access. No, I would argue if she's going from Atlantic to Pacific, saying, starting in in Pittsburgh, as we said, US Air did have a few West Coast flights, but they were mainly up and down the East Coast. So I'm thinking if she's going West, she's probably Mm -hmm. going on. Northwest through Detroit or Minneapolis, possibly TWA through St. Louis, maybe Continental. But my my guess, if she's going east west, Northwest mm-hmm. through Detroit or Minneapolis or TWA through St. Louis. So let me counter that. Let me counter that because she's meeting all these people that are flying from and through Pennsylvania, which would tell me that she's in a U.S. Airways gate area. So I think she's staying on U.S. Airways. And I think they <laughs> did have an SFO. All right. We got to move on because we're going to start losing listeners. But I got to mention Robbie's crazy thoughts. So he, when pressed, it's like, okay, I'm just asking you. I don't need your editorial on people were traveling and taking trains and driving. Our storyline is she's at an airport. So if you had to choose an airport, if you were pressed, what airport is Karen Carpenter at? So he's like, I don't know, Memphis. No. Yeah. He said Memphis. Maybe if she was a box connecting from Nashville to Tampa, <laughs> Memphis. I don't think anyone. I mean, Northwest had a presence there, but I don't think they had a hub, right? It, Memphis. They Northwest didn't get their presence there until they merged with Republic. Republic had a, a presence there. She could have been on Republic okay. at that point. 
Yeah, but it's not in Pennsylvania. All right, so we got to move on. All right, <laughs> Doug, now that we're in the holiday travel spirit, you flew on what AAA said might be the single single busiest day of the whole week. How was it? Yeah, I had to fly to Denver yesterday morning for a training session at our training department here. I sent you pictures of the escalator in Denver oh, yeah. where, where the train dumps you out into that little lower lobby. Anyone who's been to Denver can picture that and knows what I'm talking about. There was a line to even get on the escalator to get up to the gate area, and it was nuts. The club was nuts. The terminal was nuts. The air, the airplanes were completely packed. Even Sacramento at 5 o'clock yesterday morning was pretty nuts. In fact, I was even worried about finding a place to park at the airport. Mm-hmm. Luckily, it was fine. I was able to to get into the garage. But I, would, I, I mean, that's that's where we're at right now is we are back to – Think about all the pains of traveling around the holidays in 2018, right. 2019. That's where we are now. That That's what we're back yeah. to. And I keep telling, you know, the people at work when we have a busy day, it's like, you know, 99% load factor, good problem to have. So you were sending me these things about record high volumes. Everyone's saying it's going to be crazy. And I'm just like, bring it on. That's mostly because I'm not working this week. <laughs> yeah. I'm what, what, what <laughs> we either are you so far. Well, yeah, uh, I actually I had an issue with my travel home because I was supposed to fly home this morning and I'm positive space, which means that the company is taking a seat out of inventory to bring me to this training and and bring me home. And I found out this morning that they bumped me off my flight because there were too many people booked on it. So I don't even leave until 10 o'clock tonight. And that's all just part of the process of what's going on right now. Looking at the TSA numbers from yesterday, this is for the 18th, 2.45 million people traveled, which is wow. less than 100,000 people shy of 2019 on the same day. Okay. So we haven't looked at these numbers in a while, and now you're mentioning 2.45. Do you remember how we were so excited that we exceeded 2 million, I think, sometime over the summertime, and now it's 2.5 it's million? That's Yeah, it's excellent. half a million higher. Now, the other good thing was that you are on a business trip, right? Mm-hmm. I was on a business trip last week, I think. Could the company have done your training from a remote session, a Zoom meeting, or a Microsoft Teams meeting? The answer is always yes, they could have done it. The The question you have to ask is, would it have been effective? Absolutely not. Z- zero chance. Because of the networking that we had, there was a lot of questions that were asked. It was, it was a professional development training, if, if I didn't mention that. Lots of questions that were asked where we had to stand up and go into different corners of the room to identify how we felt about certain topics. And then like crosstalk between the different sections. You can't do that on Teams. You can't do that on Zoom. Yeah. You, there, there's no way that this could be a CBT, a computer-based training or, or anything like that. Like for us to be in person together was, I, I, I would call it necessary. Okay. But business travel is dead, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we keep proving our point. So you were part of the laptop crowd this week, because if you're just catching up on the episodes, we have the flip-flop crowd, which is the vacation crowd, and the laptop crowd, which is the business travelers. You were part of the laptop crowd. What did you see? Did you see mostly uh, leisure travelers or business? It was a mix. It was a lot of families traveling, and you could tell that they were probably going home for the holidays, as we just sang about. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing that again. But the upgrade list on my flight from Sacramento to Denver, I was because I, I was positive space, I was at the bottom of the list, and I was like number 42 or 43 on a 737. 
which means that oh, there are right. 20, yeah, 20 first class seats that were filled and there were mm-hmm. 42 or 43 people who were on the list. That means that there are 60 plus people. One third of this airplane had some sort of status or ability to upgrade to first class. That that to me speaks volumes right. for what's going on. Absolutely. Um, anything else on your trip? No. Hopefully I get home tonight. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting. My week was... Uh... I don't want to say boring, but it was, uh, we had good weather. So I was able to, to come out of schedule and work with, um, the guys who do my, uh, winter ops training. And I was able to participate and help with that, you know, to kind of make it more conversational and, and fun, maybe mostly for me and not anyone else. At the start of the winter ops training, I played, uh, the scene, my favorite scene from airport 1970. Yeah. You said me that. stuck in the snow and everyone, you know, with the egos, the airport manager, the TWA mechanic and the pilot all screaming at each other on how to get the 707 out of the snow. So I played that. It's like, all right, let's watch this. And they're laughing. It's like, all right. So that was an example of how not to communicate during a stressful snow operation. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, my favorite line, right? The 707, Joe Petroni to the pilot, the 707 can handle anything except a a bad pilot. (laughs) So never speak to anyone that way. Let's have an organized plan. And this whole scene, I, I think I'll put a clip on this, uh, the uh, the show notes, full of ego. And they were getting very little done, and they were making bad decisions, and they weren't working with people that could actually help them resolve this issue. Everyone's making off-the-cuff decisions on how to get the 707 out of the snow. But then, Doug, you know, real quick, I saw this movie when I was a kid, and I was like, oh, that must be so stressful, managing an airport operation with snow. And I'm thinking we're doing that. I'm doing that now with like 50 to 100 flights in this movie. They probably had like 10 flights going out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in 1970 and they couldn't do it right. They got a 707 stuck in the snow. But anyway, let's move to a serious topic on this training. So we have de-ice holdover times. Do you know what that is? Yeah, of course absolutely. You know. Yeah. So after the de-ice process is done and the snow is continuing, we have something called a holdover time, which in moderate to light snow, it could be up to 45 minutes on a 787. It, it changes. So I'm just throwing out an example. If it's still snowing and the plane hasn't taken off, we have to do the whole process again. Very easy to forget, but we have tools that cross-check us. We have a program and the pilots are checking it. We're checking it. Dispatch is checking it. So you, we have a lot of cross-checks. But the story I tell so that people know how important it is to make sure we watch the holdover times is Air Florida. In the mm-hmm. 1980s, they had a 737 that got de-iced, and I think it was 90 minutes before it took off after being de-iced and snow covered the wings, wasn't able to take off, and it crashed into uh, the Potomac River. Yeah, People are listening to this story. A lot of my workers are way younger. They don't even know about this. So when I think about holdover times, that's what I think about mm-hmm. you know, as a wake-up call. Yeah. How do you guys monitor that? Yeah, well, I mean, the, I, I want to say that Air Florida was that every every safety thing that gets introduced in aviation, sadly, is due to some sort of an incident. And the Air Florida incident at Reagan is basically what led to a, a new focus on de-ice procedures and holdover time and all that. We have an app. It's, it's, it's called the Holdover Time app. We call it the Hot app where we yep. we can request our de-icing in there. They give us a spot. Mm-hmm. They give us a frequency to talk to. We get mm-hmm. de-iced. We talk to the person de-icing us. They tell us what type of fluid they're using. 
They tell us what the start time is. We put that in the app and then we, the app knows what the precipitation type, whether it's wet snow, dry snow, moderate precipitation, heavy, et cetera. And it'll give us our holdover time. And the holdover time starts at the first application of the process. It doesn't start yep. at the end. The app then actually has a countdown clock, a timer that shows us what our holdover time is. And I, I just want to, mm -hmm. I want to mention real quickly in light snow with different types of fluid, we could have upwards of like three hours of holdover time. Yeah. So there, there are certain situations where right. holdover time is not even a factor. But well, if, and if it's not snowing, you have, you, that's it, not even an issue. Zero, like no holdover time is not even a thing at that point. Like if it's yeah. sunny, we just have ice on the wings. We could wait hours before we take off. There, There is no holdover time. We're fine. So what we do is we, once the initial application starts, we hack the clock, we put all the information in, and then we know what our holdover time is. Mm -hmm. And most airports now, some airports still do at the gate de-icing, but a lot of airports now have centralized de-ice pads that are right by the runways yeah. so that right, when we do, do get de-iced, you can launch immediately. And the reason why we have these holdover times, as you mentioned, the Air Florida thing, this is a, mm -hmm. it's a chemical compound that is meant to preclude ice and snow from forming based on ambient temperatures. The snow falls on it and it basically melts the snow, but this compound can get saturated. And that's why we have the holdover time that if we have heavy yep. snow that's dumping on us, which is why it might only be 40 minutes because in tests they've, they've shown and they've proven that anything over X amount of time, that compound becomes saturated and then the wing surface does not work and, and you don't get the lift. It's it's very technical and I, I try <laughs> right. to keep it as basic no, that's a good way. as, as well, possible. Well, yeah, and you know, if you're on an airplane during a de-ice operation, you can tell all the people around you how smart you are because the first application, if it if it's not snowing and they gotta get we have to get the snow and ice off, it's just type one, which is green. I'm sorry, no, I take the back with type one, which is orange. Orange. Mm -hmm. So type one just gets the snow or ice off the wing. If it's not continuing to snow, that's all you're going to get. Just type one, and it's very fast. If it's continuing to snow, it's going to be type one and type two. Type two is green. That's how you know it's type two. It's very viscous. It's almost like maple syrup, and it stays on the wing. That's a protectant where the snow can keep falling, and it'll keep it from affecting you know, changing the surface of the wing yeah. and that stuff. When the plane's rolling down the runway, that stuff just blows off and it doesn't affect the lift. Yeah. The, the, the viscosity of it is made to fall off the wing at a certain airspeed so that the wings, they'll start creating the lift. It falls off. Then the anti-ice on the wing kicks in once it gets airborne. It's, it's really pretty fascinating. We've gone really long on, on this intro. We've got some work we have to get to. We got into a tangent. We weren't expecting to talk about DI's processes, but as you can see, we're both excited about it, and we, we um, love talking about it. All right, Doug, we need to get some work done and cover some of this week's news. I'll start us off. Our favorite airline CEO, Barry Biffle. I, I don't know if he's our favorite, but he's definitely our favorite name. Barry Biffle. <laughs> it's not like a Donald Duck thing. All right, CEO Barry Biffle and Frontier Airlines are in the news again this week. Side note, we really need to see if we can get him on the show. If anyone from Frontier with connections to the C-suite is listening, let us know. We'd love to have Barry on the show. Frontier launched an unlimited flight pass this week. The introductory price was $599, but since they launched it, it's gone up to the normal price of almost $2,000. As the name states, this pass is truly unlimited travel, Doug. That's like an AvGeek's dream. Mm -hmm. Pass holders can fly as many times as they'd like for 12 months. 
beginning in March of next year, uh, though several dates around the holidays are blocked out. There are some restrictions on the pass. Passengers can't book a flight until the day prior. They don't receive a free bag or any complimentary extras, and they will have to pay $1 per flight as as well as any applicable taxes and fees. Doug, is this a good deal? I really had to think about this. I'm I'm going to say no. I, I know Barry Biffle is really excited about it. Frontier is, is really excited. They said that this is one of the best announcements that they've made in their company's history. It Maybe if you're a 25-year-old college student who just wants to travel and, and doesn't really have anywhere that they need to be, almost like a non-rev type thing where you show up at the airport or you look the day prior and you see where can I get seats. You don't need to check a bag. You can just bring a small bag. That might be a good deal. But a family, say my, myself, a family of four, who wants to travel to go and see grandparents, who wants to go to Disney World, who wants to go to Hawaii, places like this, I don't think this is a good deal because you cannot get a seat on the flight until the day prior. Who knows what the loads are going to be at certain parts of the year. Even, even though there are holidays that are blacked out, you're not guaranteed of getting on that flight. And then you still have to pay a dollar for the airfare. You still have to pay the taxes, which depending on where you're going, could be $20, $30, $40, You've got the 9-11 mm-hmm. tax. You've got all these, the gas tax, all these different taxes that you have to pay. And you don't get the extras. A ticket on Frontier costs like $49. And then, of course, you, you do pay the extras and everything. But you can book way far in advance. Uh, for 2000 bucks. Uh, unless you're traveling totally randomly, Dozens of times a year, I don't think that this is yeah. a good deal. Okay, so for a civilian, just like you said, I don't think it's a good deal. But if I were an, a young av geek with no airline travel benefits living in Denver, I would hop on this deal. Five ninety nine, Doug. I would be traveling every weekend. I'd go anywhere, and you know, you don't know which that if you can get a seat till the day before. Is if you're in Denver, just pick a flight. You know, it doesn't have to be a specific flight if it's just to enjoy traveling. This whole thing of unlimited travel, that can backfire on airlines. So do you remember what American had in the 1980s? Yeah. They had something a, called the Air Pass. The Air Pass, yeah. Yeah. So when I saw this, that's always what comes to mind because that was like the gold standard of unlimited travel. So American had this thing, $250,000. This was in the 1980s. You buy this air pass, which gives you lifetime first class travel on American. $250,000 is a lot of money now. Can you imagine in the 1980s? But still, American had to backtrack and take it away from people because they were losing money on this. <laughs> yeah. There's a famous lawsuit. The guy's name is Steven Rothstein. He bought the air pass and he bought a companion pass for 150000 But the guy was using it left and right. So looking into it, he used it 10,000 times. All first class flights, a thousand flights to uh, sh- to New York. He lived in Chicago. Five hundred flights to San Francisco. Five hundred flights to L.A. One hundred and twenty flights to Sydney. I could go on and on, but the guy was the guy was really taking advantage of it, and they took it away from him. He sued American, and he lost. He lost because they said that he was abusing the system because he was just asking people at the gate if they want to go with him. (laughs) And he apparently he was booking seats and not using them. And he was saying, well, American condoned his behavior, so that should be fine. But in the clause, it says American can cancel this con this deal with him. There's always a poison pill. Yeah. If they feel that he's American won the lawsuit and I, but I think he went back and they settled out of court. So we don't know exactly what he settled with, but 
Would you pay $250,000 today to have lifetime travel on an airline that offers first class? If I had the money, yeah. I, I don't have that kind of money. But if, yeah, I mean, if I, if I was a, a relatively wealthy business person that that sort of like that I knew that I was going to be spending that money later on anyways, then yeah, I'd, I would definitely consider it. Yeah, well, so they do. I look to see if they have something today. And very recently, I don't know if they have it right now, but uh, Air Canada has an unlimited pass thing. Check it out in business. It's unlimited, but it's $11,000. That's way more. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think very few people would buy that. I, 250000 I would do it if I was wealthy and I was not an airline employee. Mm-hmm. I don't know which airline is. Alaska, Alaska. has a 49 49- yeah, the uh, only on the West Coast though, and I think they just expanded to Salt Lake. So it really only and and it's uh, what is it six twelve forty nine dollars a month. Yeah, and and you can only travel up to like twelve times a year. Or so. there, there are a lot of restrictions yeah. on it, mm-hmm. so it's not truly unlimited like what Frontier is pitching. Yeah, if you truly want unlimited travel, just go work for uh, an airline. <laughs> that is truly yeah. unlimited travel. Our next story is a go around about a topic that was a major deal several months ago, but has since mostly fallen out of the news cycle. We're talking about 5G restrictions. The FA and wireless carriers reached an agreement earlier this year where 5G bandwidth near the airports would be limited until the end of 2022, giving airlines time to retrofit their aircraft with updated equipment. As a reminder, airlines in the FA voiced concerns over p- potential interference with radio altimeters, which are used to judge an airplane's height above the ground. Airlines for America, a trade group that represents the airlines, Boeing, Airbus, Embraer, and airline unions, as well as the FAA, are all lobbying for the wireless carriers to extend their mitigations another year to the end of 2023 in order to give airlines time to replace all of the radio altimeters. The letter sent to wireless carriers said that, quote, due to global supply chain issues, air carriers will likely be unable to fully meet either the December 2022 deadline for smaller regional aircraft and many large transports, nor the July 2023 retrofit deadline. The aviation industry has documented over 100 FAA incidents Mm -hmm. of potential 5G interference since January. Drew? You know, as an airline employee, I'm biased, but I'm like, why do we have to make all these adjustments? Because people, these carriers want to sell faster internet service. Why Why do we have to work around that? So I, I'm glad that they're not letting this pass and they're still looking into it and they're recording incidents. I have not heard of anything that, that caused a dangerous situation. But yeah. again, we haven't looked into this for a while. Yeah, I, I don't know what these 100 incidents are, and I, I don't know how they get reported. I can tell you I haven't seen any in all the flying that I've been doing. But this is, we're, we're in mid-November. We It's, what, the 19th of November. This is set to expire at the end of the year. We have six weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to retrofit uh, thousands of plans. Yeah, we, we have six weeks to go, and I, I think that it's good because... If you remember, we waited, the the industry and the FAA waited until like the 11th hour last time to request the extension. It was like five days prior to when this was set to come into effect. We're six weeks prior to when the deadline is supposed to happen. I think that this Mm -hmm. is going to give both parties a little bit more time to get it figured out. All right, Doug, do you want to go to Paris? I know I do. And so does JetBlue. JetBlue, which launched London service earlier this year, they just announced that Paris will be their new European destination. They plan to begin service from New York JFK next summer 
and we'll add flights from Boston as well. CEO Robin Hayes said, JetBlue is offering something completely unique to what you get from the big global legacy airlines on this route, where a single high fare joint venture operates nearly three quarters of the flying. The response to our London service is proof that combining great service with low fares works, unquote. According to JetBlue, France is the second most popular European destination for U.S. travelers after England. JetBlue says that once its A321 XLRs arrive, that it wants to expand to more European destinations. A321s, we're going to see them all over crossing the Atlantic, Doug. Yeah, yeah, we, we were going to talk about that this week, but it looks like we're going to run out of time. So we'll, we'll push that to next week. But you've flown Mint. You thought it was a great product. Uh, and it it, they... JetBlue came into the Transcon market, introduced this lay flat product with excellent service and even economy, free Wi-Fi screens on the back. Like a lot of people argue that the JetBlue Transcon service in all cabins is is one of the best. And what did other airlines have to do? They responded with putting wide bodies flying from JFK to San Francisco and Los Angeles. And some airlines are adding Seattle and Boston into the mix because JetBlue came in and shook up the market. That's what they're trying to do across the Atlantic as well, is shake up this market, trying to make it more affordable, especially right now with all the inflation that's going on, make it more affordable for people to travel across the Atlantic at a relative discount, but still in a premium or an upgraded product. And what what do we say? We say a rising tide raises all ships or or rises all ships. In in a way, this is JetBlue coming into the market that's been stale that's had not a lot of innovation in seats and, and all that over the last several years. Now JetBlue is coming in. This could be good yeah. for everyone because this could force other airlines to really start to step up their game. Oh, exactly. You know, a, just like you said, a rising tide raises all ships. So I remember when Virgin came into the London market, that really put British Airways and the US carriers on notice because they were so unique. And they had panache and it was, you know, stylish and everything. And that, I think that raised everyone's standards in terms of service and food and all that. And I know we're running long, but A321, I was, I think I sent you and the, our little chat group a text. It's like, I'm depressed because the weather is bad in Dulles. And I'm seeing all my A330s that I used to see during the summer replaced with A321s. Yeah. yeah. Air Portugal, Air Lingus, SAS. I know I'm missing at least one. They're all flying A321s now that we're in the fall. And then Tyler from Non-Rev Lounge, of course, always, you know, has a comeback. And he's like, well, would you rather them fly huge planes with lots of empty seats? I'm like, absolutely, yes, because then I'll get on more often as a non-rev. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in all honesty, Tyler is right. They're not going to fly at all, which in years past, in the fall, there's been no flight. So should I really be complaining that they are still flying a flight, even though it's a smaller plane? I think that's a good thing. Yeah, quick quick correction, though. It was Greg who said, would you rather they fly empty planes? And Tyler said yes. Ty- Tyler <laughs> agreed. Okay. So yeah, Ty- Greg, Greg <laughs> okay, was, was Greg. the one who, who came at it from a, <laughs> an empirical standpoint. Of course, the engineer looks at it with, with the empirical data. Right. And Tyler, who runs non-rev, non-rev lounge, was like, well, yeah, I want them to fly the empty planes. So just yeah, just, so, just, just a, l- a little bit there. I, I know that Tyler would would correct us if we didn't correct ourselves. But no, no I, I agree. 
I, I do agree with you that these are routes that used to be seasonal with wide bodies and now they're year round. So yes, they are A321s and not wide bodies, but they're they're not seasonal service. They're year round now year-round. because we That's have right. the economic ability to be able to do it using these A321 XLRs. We've done a fifth freedom. We're doing a low cost um, review, hopefully in January. I think we got to do an A321 across the Atlantic. And then maybe w- that will completely change our thoughts on narrow bodies, yeah. transatlantic. Yeah, I, I hope it doesn't. But uh, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> Drew, not to pat ourselves on the back, but we call this next story. Okay, maybe we are patting ourselves just a little bit. India's Tata Sons announced that it has initiated consolidation of its airlines entities, which include Vistara, AirAsia India, and the recently purchased Air India and Air India Express. The move will make Air India the second largest airline in the country behind low-cost carrier Indigo. Air India will be the surviving brand, though it is expected to take nearly a year to merge all the operations. Singapore Airlines is currently a joint venture partner with Vistara and owns 49% of the parent company. Singapore will retain 20 to 25% ownership stake in the newly merged Air India. The move will lead to a reduction in operational costs and increased synergies across all four brands. That's like a buzzword for every airline merger is increased Energy. synergies, yep. as, as well as increased bargaining power with suppliers such as Airbus and Boeing. Drew, we called it. Yeah, we called it, Doug. And everything that I'm seeing on here is exactly what you or I would do, I think. This is definitely what I would do if I were the airline CEO. I would bring all these these brands into one and have a consistent, solid product. We talked about this. So the Tatas owned Air India, and they did a great job. It was a really good airline before it was government-controlled. Mm-hmm. So I think what we're seeing is them going back to that. They are going to be a powerhouse if they continue this. So right now they're working on the logistics, which is combining these airlines, definitely fleet issues, safety issues, getting all those consistent. And then I guarantee you're going to see them improve their service. I've already seen images of their domestic first class meals, which look fabulous. These are people that know the industry that are actually going to really improve the product. The fact that Singapore Airlines owns 25% of this and they're going to have a say, that is excellent. This is great. And just reading today, they're about to finalize an order for 70 wide-body aircraft and up to 300 narrow-body aircraft. It's like a a billion, billions of dollar order. So we'll see what they come up with. I think they're going to have an excellent product that's very competitive with the ME3 that's stealing all this traffic to that part of the world. Yeah, well, it's it's that bargaining power that we just talked about, that this combined entity is now the second largest airline in the country. And it's the only, it will now be the only true global airline in India. That's huge for bargaining power. India is the second largest country in the world. And we talk about how many people are moving out of poverty every year and able to fly on airline tickets for the first time. And, and for Air India to be able to go to Airbus to be able to go to Boeing and say, we want an order, play each other, you know, play both companies against each other. Against each if other, you were yeah. the old Air India where you have Vistara, you have Air, Air Asia, India, and all these different competing factors, you don't have that, that leverage the way that you do now that you're going to be this giant consolidated global airline that Air India is now going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we talk about the, the troubles of Boeing. I think Boeing has an opportunity here. I think with this trade war with China, and then buying Airbuses recently. I think Boeing has an opening with India because the relationships are good. Maybe uh, a significant order for the 777-9 
We'll see. We'll want, you know, watch this space. Moving further east from India, we have our final story this week. We're going to Hong Kong, Doug. Cathay Pacific says it will reach 70% of pre-pandemic capacity by the end of 2023. The Hong Kong-based airline expects to end 2022 at just 33% of 2019 capacity, up from 10% earlier this year. Recently lifted quarantine rules in Hong Kong have left Cathay scrambling to return aircraft from storage, as well as add up to upwards of 4,000 new staff members in the next year or two. As we mentioned previously, other regional competitors have taken advantage of Cathay's struggles. Singapore Airlines is expected to be at 81% of pre-pandemic capacity by year's end. Doug, even doing routes that we couldn't even imagine, right? Manchester to Houston? Yeah, yep. (laughs) So they're really back in the game. Philippine Airlines is trying to establish itself as a major player, and I'm seeing them all around. I saw them landing in Los Angeles twice, I think, on the same day when I was there. This is great news, and I'm just hoping it's not too little too late because pre-pandemic, Hong Kong was this global financial center. Cathay Pacific was one of the best-known airlines in the world. They had a giant operation. They flew everywhere from Hong Kong, and we've talked about just their struggles and, and how they've been siphoned with the zero COVID policies in Hong Kong. They couldn't even really do a lot of cargo because of the crew legality rules and, and everything. And it was just sad to see. So I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that they're <laughs> able to come out of this and return to what Cathay used to be, to, to their yeah. current form. Here's a great example. When we were in LA in 2020, September of 2020, during the pandemic, and we went to the canceled mm-hmm. Dorkfest, we saw yep. all these Asian carriers there running cargo-only flights. I think one night we saw probably seven, six or seven China Airlines cargo-only 777-300s. I think there was an A350. Did we see a single Cathay Pacific flight? No, I cannot no. remember a Cathay Pacific no. flight. No, and, and, and we, we talked about how like cargo was the saving grace for all these airlines throughout the pandemic. Cathay couldn't even really do that because of all these restrictions and everything. Good for them that they're they're up to 33% at the end of this year, 70% by next year. I just hope it's not too little too late. Yeah, me too. What did I send you when I was uh, from my hotel room when I was watching the planes? <laughs> uh, it was a video of something landing. I'm trying to remember what it was. But, well, I do remember you said that you, you saw so many more Asian carriers this time well, than yeah. you did last time. Yeah, so many more Asian carriers, like one after the other, like the old days, including a Cathay Pacific passenger, A three fifty one thousand. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and you made the comment that it was a one thousand, that it wasn't, it wasn't yep. the nine hundred, that it was their bigger airplane because they needed that. Yeah, they I do remember that. Yeah. Well, Drew, I loved your idea to mention some of our failures and how it made us stronger in the last episode. That really struck a chord with one of our listeners. We received a great message from Giovanni Capitani. He said, "Quote." Hi, guys. I want to say thanks for the last episode and the motivational message you gave us. I'm reevaluating my career, and your words added value to my thoughts. All the best to you and your families. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, it's like if we can make a difference in one person's life where they decide to follow their dream because of something that we said, that means a lot to us. And I know he's not the only one. Now, if he does this and he fails miserably, we're going to be to blame. (laughs) He's going to come back and say, you guys ruined my life. I was having, you know, I had a great job as an accountant. Then I decided to fly planes. And no, I I, I think, you know, even if it doesn't turn out, at least you try it, right? You don't want to be 30 years later and be like, oh, I wish I would have at least tried it. 
So yeah. good job, Giovanni. All right. We also received some feedback from a listener, Brian, regarding our segment on Canadian North. I knew, Doug, I knew someone was listening that had some Canadian that North is, yeah. experience. Uh, he said, in the last episode, you guys talked about Canadian North. I just wanted to share that I had the pleasure of flying them this summer to Iqaluit, Nunavut. In both directions, I flew on a 737-400 combi, which as an av geek, I've wanted to fly for a while. I highly re- recommend this trip if you are an av geek. All right, well, let's put that on the list. It sounds fabulous. Just a practical bit of advice if anybody wants to try them out. Cash prices for their flights are understandably quite high, but they are partners with Air Canada's loyalty program, Aeroplan, and the mileage pricing is the same as any North American flight, making it a great value compared to cash. Okay, great, great advice. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that they were partners with Air Canada, which I guess makes sense because Air Canada doesn't serve some of those cities uh, way up in the Arctic. Yeah. Thanks for that info, Brian. All right, Doug. Great episode. We're going into the holidays. Doug, what are your plans for Thanksgiving? Or do you even know? Are you on reserve and it's going to be roll the dice? It, it's very much roll the dice. I am on reserve. I get home tonight. I'm off uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then I start reserve on Wednesday. Marissa and the girls are flying to Chicago on Tuesday for a family reunion. My parents will be there. Lots of aunts and uncles, cousins. It's a every year thing that we do around the holidays. Luckily, it's going to be in Chicago because as of right now, I start reserve on Wednesday and there is an open trip that no one seems to want that has a red eye to Chicago on Wednesday night and then off okay. all of Thursday. And then I would, I would leave Chicago on Friday to, to pick up the rest of the trip. And it's a bunch of hub to hub domestic flying on a wide body, just moving these millions of people that we've talked about over the holidays. So I'm really hoping that I get that so that I can at least spend a day with the family. <laughs> well, it's, it, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's funny because it's it's kind of sad, but Marissa and the da- your daughters will be at your family's reunion <laughs> without well, you because well, they I'll can be definitely working. while you'll yeah. be working. So, yeah, I mean, listeners, come back to the next episode after Thanksgiving. We'll see how it turned out. For me, I'm I'm lucky. I have this week off. I'm very appreciative of that to be an airline employee with Thanksgiving week off. Karen Carpenter talked to this guy who is going to Pennsylvania for some homemade pumpkin pie. I am going to Richmond for some. Homemade pumpkin pie, home <laughs> homemade mashed potatoes, homemade green bean casserole. Everything is by the book. And I may have told the story earlier, but I wanted to help. It's so it's Robbie's sister that does this whole spread. I wanted to help because I like cooking, so I brought this parsnip gratin because I'm not a fan of that uh, sweet potato sweet potato casserole. And the family was like, uh, "Yeah, we're not eating that." because <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't traditional thanksgiving it wasn't traditional so now well, i just bring a bottle of wine <laughs> i i don't remember if if i've told you this or not but we started a family tradition uh, several years ago when we moved to california we were living in a residence inn for f- four months five months we didn't move into our house until after thanksgiving on thanksgiving day we went to an indian restaurant mm-hmm. and since then we have done indian on thanksgiving day I want to say three times, maybe maybe four times in the last couple of years. And then we'll do oh, our, really? our actual Thanksgiving turkey meal with, with friends on like Friday or Saturday. Mm-hmm. But on <laughs> Thanksgiving Day, our family tradition, which is so funny because yeah. I love Thanksgiving. I love the <laughs> traditional food. But it, yeah. you, you have to adjust when you don't live by family, when your friends are doing family on the day of. And, and we do what we call Friendsgiving. We're, we're not doing mm-hmm. it this year because we're going to be out of town. 
we found our own tradition. We're like, let's go to Indian food. (laughs) That's like the one time of the year that we eat Indian food Uh is on Thanksgiving. Right. Yeah, well, that's that's funny you said that because before I met Robbie, I mean, we always go to his sister's house because that is all traditional. It's awesome. But before I met Robbie, you know, when we were having our Thanksgivings from a South Asian, a Sri Lankan family mixed, you know, all nationalities. But, you know, my parents are Sri Lankan and so am I. You'd have all the trimmings. You'd have the turkey. You'd have the cranberry sauce, the green bean casserole. But someone curry. would bring a rice and curry just yeah. in case <laughs> they have their safe face. <laughs> so no it's all it, and it's it's fun to see different families how they celebrate and it's a little different happy thanksgiving to you drew to your family and to all the listeners and this podcast is your show so go on our website nexttripnetwork.com let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback you can also follow us on twitter or instagram at next trip podcast please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel all right thanks doug have a great thanksgiving in the words of Perry Como and Karen Carpenter, who was at a U.S. Airways terminal in 1978, watching <laughs> flights all over <laughs> in Pittsburgh. <laughs> For the holidays, you can't beat home sweet home. So we all hope you can spend time with family and friends wherever you are. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. 